People, welcome back. Before we get into today's episode, I want to share with you a story. When I was 30, I hit a low point in my life. I was broke, $24,000 in debt, no job, and I just moved back in with my parents for the first time since I graduated college almost 10 years ago. The debt was a crushing weight, and frankly, it was the master over my life. I needed to serve it. It was this thing that drove all my decisions. It stifled my ability to take risks, explore options, and it depleted a lot of my mental energy. Long story short, I followed the Dave Ramsey plan. In eight months, I paid off $24,000, and a few months later, I saved up a three-month emergency fund. On the other side of that year, I felt like a different person. I had a newfound sense of self and empowerment. Money is a stressor for so many of us, and we have the ability to make it a tool for us and not a master over us. I asked Kristen to come on the podcast because she's taught a lot of people over the years to get a handle on their finances. She's extremely knowledgeable, and I really appreciate her approach to personal finance, which is that she doesn't impose hard and fast rules, but she really meets people where they are. You can also check out episode nine, Debt Free with Penelope. She too followed the Dave Ramsey plan and shares her debt-free journey. Paying off debt is building wealth. Sure. Mm -hmm. That's the bottom line. So um, I, I mean, going back from the way beginning, I was born in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And then from age six, we moved to Texas. So I lived in Dallas, I would say for my formative years from Mm. first grade through eighth grade. And then right before high school is when our family moved to LA. And, you know, that was a really tough transition for me, um, Mm. you know, moving schools, moving States and um, really to a completely different, you know, type of people group, you know, I was going Mm -hmm. from a predominantly white um, neighborhood to, all of a sudden predominantly Asian and I didn't feel Asian at all. So it mm-hmm. was a very strange transition for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think all of those experiences uh, make us who we are, mm-hmm. you know, so, um, I'm thankful that I, you know, uh, had a loving family and, you know, grew up in a, in a safe environment. And, you know, I think, you know, eventually I adapted. And well, uh, what were you like as a kid? Um. I, I'd like to think that I was still pretty similar to what I am like now. Mm. Still, I think I was a very like cautious, reserved human being. (laughs) And, um, I think when I feel, um, like I'm in a safe environment, that's when I think my personality can come out, Mm. but I think thrust into new situations, I'm definitely an observer. I really have to like understand what's happening around me and um, yeah, just, you know, feeling safe also involves um, yeah. Understanding my environment, who the players are, 
uh, just observing what other people are like. And then I can feel like, okay, I can adapt to this situation. Mm. Mm. So what was it like, kind of like, why did your family move from Dallas to LA? What prompted that move? It was just opportunity. Yeah. You know, um, well, my dad was, is uh, a computer programmer and there's just more jobs out here. And I think another thing that drove my dad to have us move to Los Angeles was more of his siblings lived in in LA. Mm. So more support. And, and, and I'm sure many immigrant families can relate to, you know, their family is just kind of being all over the place, you know, after having immigrated. And so um, the siblings are quite tight. And I think being near each other was, was a goal for them to eventually mm. be in the same city together. Mm. So, um, so what was that like from going from being surrounded by all white people and then now it's like all people. <laughs> yeah, I it it was an adjustment because while I did go to a Korean church in Dallas, um, you know, most of my week was spent with a lot of white people. And growing up in Texas, you're learning about Texas history and all of that. And um come to California, I knew nothing about California history. Mm-hmm. I also really only knew Korean people. I didn't know Mm. any Chinese people, Taiwanese people, uh, Japanese people. So this, um, you know, amalgamation of all these Asian persons around me and, um, and just seeing this click of Asian people, it was just different for me. So, um, the other thing was fashion. You know, I, I came to California where in Texas, and these are small things, but in Texas, we still wore colored socks. Mm. And so when to California and everyone's wearing flip-flops, I just mm. felt, it just was a total fish out of water. I just mm. felt so different in so mm. many different. Um, I dropped, I used to say y'all all the time. So I dropped that real fast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just so very self-aware and self-conscious about being out of place. Mm. Yeah. How do you feel like you defined your identity? How do I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. Mm. I think at that, at that age, I was just trying to fit in. Mm. Um, but I do think that having a strong support system in my family and also, um, which included going to church. You know, I think that really helped ground me. Hmm. Gotcha. I mean, that's kind of one of the consistent things, I guess, right from Dallas to LA was, was church and the experience of church. Mm-hmm. I would imagine. So this was in high school that you moved from Dallas to LA. Um, yes. Uh, so going to college, how did you decide where you wanted to go to school and what you wanted to study? Yeah, so I I also didn't know very much about colleges. I was very involved at my church at the time, and many of the um, older people had either gone to Pomona College or UC San Diego. And um, you grew up in really, Orange County, right? 
uh, it's like Hacienda Heights. So it's more okay. kind of like it's LA County, but on that, on the edge of Orange mm-hmm. County. Yeah. And uh, I just recall my pastor saying, as I was deciding on colleges, um, that if I decided to go to UC San Diego, that um, that he could pair me or introduce me to many people down there. Mm-hmm. For some reason, the thought of having this life plotted out for me, mm. I really felt like a rebellion against that mm. and wanted to do something new and different and have my own unique experience. Mm-hmm. And so I actually really wanted to go East. I wanted to go to some, you know, liberal arts college out on the East coast, but my parents really, I mean, I think I know it would have saddened them greatly <laughs> for me to go mm-hmm. out of state and, and it would have been expensive too. So uh, that's how I ended up at Berkeley. It just mm-hmm. was the farthest I could get away mm-hmm. from um, like this pre-planned experience or future mm-hmm but still be within California and still have a very like great and affordable education. Mm, Gotcha. So, you know, hearing about how you were like a kid, you know, being very safe and cautious and and Mm -hmm. risk adverse makes you perfect to be a controller or someone in finance. (laughs) Um, How did you know finance was what you wanted to get into when you, when you went to college? No. So I, I, I don't know if this will shock you, but my, when I was younger, my, I wanted to be the governor of California. My, <laughs> my dream was actually to be in politics. Honestly, you'd be a great governor, but continue. <laughs> uh, I think just the thought of, um, you know, not to be political, but to be uh, involved in community and involved in um public policy was something that I was interested in. Mm. Um, And, you know, that track would have involved going to law school and all of that. Um, And then, and then I went to Berkeley and things changed when I was there. I think I, I actually, whoops, sorry. I didn't know where I wanted to, what I wanted to do with my life. I just, I just went to college and I was no longer thinking about whether or not I still wanted to be in public policy or, you know, Mm. go the route of, you know, being a public servant. Mm. And I, and I really just, I didn't, that probably would have been a great school to pursue that just because of its history Mm -hmm. and all of that. But I just, I totally got caught up in college life. (laughs) I didn't pursue it at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really was my chance where a friend of mine, had asked me if I was going to be going to the internship job fair. And I thought, well, why would I do that? And well, what are you going to do in the summer? Don't you have to get an internship? You know, this is right before, I think in between junior and senior year. And I was completely clueless. I had no idea that that's what you were supposed to do. And thank, I mean, thank God for that friend, truly. So you know, she took me to the job fair and we walked around and then that's where I became aware that I really need to start thinking about my future, you know, what was going to happen post-college. And I didn't know that that search happened so early on in your college career, because really then what happened is that, you know, you get your internship and then, um, and in the fall, in the first semester of your senior year, 
that's when people start securing jobs for the following year. So I just, I had no idea that that's, that's the track. So because of that friend, that's how I ended up, you know, going through the job fairs. And then after getting my internship, I had interned at this company down in Orange County. Um, <clears throat> then in the fall, I started recruiting for post-college jobs. And that's how I ended up getting my job at, at one of the big four accounting firms. And that's how I ended up there. And it was completely, I think, by chance, it wasn't a career that I was specifically studying for or career that I specifically thought was going to be my future. It was just, yeah, I think it sounded like a solid career path. And I thought that that could launch me into doing other things. It was just out of necessity of being like, okay, I just have, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to secure a job mm. you know, in the fall semester of your senior year. I knew I didn't want to do the consultant route and I did have a couple iBanking interviews, but mm. I just, it was, com- I didn't feel like I wanted to live this life of sleeping underneath a desk. Whereas accounting, I thought, okay, I can do that. That seems stable. That seems actually like a career that could lead into other things. It's fundamental, it's basics. And that's how I ended up choosing that path. Mm. Yeah. So uh, it was great because I accepted an offer. They sent me a laptop. I mean, the recruiting, the recruiting at all these firms is they have a lot of money. So they just send you things. They take you to, they take you out to dinner. They fly you down. You know, there's all the stuff that, which is nice as a recent graduate, you're like, Oh, this is really nice. Well, it's a, it's great as just being a college student, you know, to yeah. be treated way. you're just, your eyes are just like, you know, huge. I like, wow, yeah. this is amazing. I didn't realize you went to, uh, you worked at a big four. Maybe I forgot. I forgot. Um, what was that experience like? Cause I feel like people who work at a big four, um, like, or any of those like top firms, it's, like you kind of like pay your dues. And then once you do that, you can kind of go wherever you want to. I mean, what was it like working at um, one of those big firms? Well, my experience, I, I had a positive experience. I met a lot of great people. I um, ended up being in a field specifically with insurance companies and asset management, like broker dealers. I had two very large clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, that got me traveling to Santa Barbara quite a bit, probably three or four months out of the year, I was in Santa Barbara, a couple trips to New York. So in that sense, I really enjoyed the job because it, it was, it was just such a great learning experience and not just particular industries, but just, you know, you're really trained to enter a situation knowing or learning how to ask the right questions, getting the information that you need. Um, You know, you just learn so much just from all the interviews that you have with the different individuals that you're supposed to ask questions um, to and whatnot. Um, But I think what was really hard for me, um, it wasn't all, you know, um, like, you know, stars or whatnot. It was, you know, there definitely were some challenges, not just in the hours, but, um, I felt like the large corporate structure, while it's great to have the structure, I didn't thrive in it. Mm. 
It was very, there was also, um, you could see there were cliques, there were subgroups, there's, um, yeah, I just, I, I, I felt like I was getting lost in the mix of everything. And, um, yeah. And, and I think people who thrive, I think, you know, have the benefit of having met or being brought into the fold by other people, you you get along, but sometimes it can also be just a look of a draw because you just get put onto a job and you may not click with anybody. So um, you kind of get lost in that shuffle. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I was thankfully, you know, brought on by some people that I did like, and we got along really well, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, I just didn't see myself really thriving in that structure. Mm. Uh, And yeah. What kind, and what kind of person thrives in that type of environment? Um, I think, I think you do have to have a bit of a schmoozy personality. Cause I think as you, as you get higher up, mm-hmm. so the um, importance of sales of keeping on clients and that sort of stuff. That's not really, you know, you're looking at your managers and your partners and you're looking at the role that they have and you have to want that for yourself to stay, you know, because that's your future. If you stay in a big four or, you know, any account for that, any job for that matter, you have to look at your bosses and think, okay, is that the kind of life I want to have? And the hours, the, you know, type of work that we were doing, you just, I just didn't really feel like it was, it was a value add, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, these menial things down at the bottom. Um, but at the end of the day, the partner's going to sign off on, on the opinion, you know, mm-hmm. you know, this is just to like cover our asses, essentially, you know, we're just mm-hmm. like covering our butts to make sure that, you know, we did the, we did the work, but, you know, down up at the top, they're having their own conversations. So, yeah, I, it just, it, it, I think it's necessary. Absolutely. Especially, you know, coming off of the whole Enron scandal and all of that. And, and when it comes to investing and trading, people rely on these audited reports and it's a way of, you know, self-regulation to make sure that, you know, companies are on the up and up and what they're reporting is on the up and up. So there is importance to the work at hand. Absolutely. Um, I just, I think is a combination of being at such a very large company that I just don't feel like my personality, you know, really thrived in. Mm. And then also feeling like, man, I don't even think that's the kind of, this is not the path that I see myself being in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was a great jumping off point. I mean, yeah. it's a great, right out of college job you learn so much you're exposed to so much um and i think that's what you get from it you you understand what you like and what you don't like it's all Mm. part of the process so once you realize for yourself this is not the path that you want to take how did you pivot out of yeah so within two years of working at a public accounting firm especially if it's a big four you'll start getting recruiting calls daily. I mean, you're just going to get calls up the wazoo. And so for the first couple, after the first two years, I didn't really entertain the calls because I just, 
I thought it was too junior. I mean, what, 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 what type of position would I have gotten after just two years of working in accounting at a public accounting firm? It still would have been pretty lower level, you know? So the more years that you stay, the more kind of like higher level opportunities you would have afforded to you. Um, but, and this is one thing that really did, I think, change my mind about answering those calls is I was at a client's place and, you know, talking to the controller and he seemed like a really nice guy and he was very friendly to our whole team. And one day I'd asked him, well, why did you leave? Why did, because most of the people you interact with are former public accountants. So I asked him, why did you leave? And he said, well, I didn't want to look back on my twenties and thirties and not know what I did with my life. And it was just mm-hmm. like, you know, my mind just completely blew because it, it just, it was so true. And we worked so many long hours, everything revolved around our job. And so after that, I thought, well, maybe I should start looking at other jobs and have a better work-life balance. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, so then it was luck of the draw. It I happened to be in the office because typically you're not in the office, you're on client side, but I happened to be at the office, my phone rang and it was a recruiter. And I just started answering his questions and he started sending me opportunities to look at. And that's how I moved to my next position, which is, is a film production company. And it was completely out of my realm of understanding. I knew nothing about film accounting. I knew nothing about that whole industry other than, you know, just what you see on television or going to the movies, but I knew nothing about the business. And um, while working in, you know, broker dealer, asset manager, you know, the financial services industry uh, was very, you know, felt very highbrow, like this is what you want to be doing. Um, I also felt like all I was looking at was statements. You're not looking at anything like there's nothing to hold on to. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, you're looking at prospectuses, you're working, you're looking at just bank statements, mm-hmm. just people money. And and it could get it was not very exciting for me. Um, and you know, it was a good time, I think, to try to learn something new. So really the large companies that recruit heavily are gonna were at the time like Toyota, um, all the studios, Disney, Fox, etc. And then somehow I came across this very small film production company. And, um, you know, I wasn't particularly interested because I wanted a big name mm-hmm. or I thought I wanted a big name. It just, you know, I wasn't sure what it, what it was, but, um, when I met with a the controller there, she was just, I really liked her. And I thought she just seemed like a person that I could learn from. And that's when I really started to see the merits of going to a small company as opposed to going from one large company to another large company. Right. While the large companies say there's opportunity, you know, to move from department to department or whatnot, um, the actual job you're doing is such a small, tiny strip that you see of a business. Mm-hmm. Whereas going to a small company, I'm doing all different departments type of work. Mm. And, and I think going into an in a completely new industry, 
that would have, that was really the best place for me to learn because I was going through every single, I mean, you're, I was looking at residuals and participation, participation statements. I was looking at international distribution. I was looking at television contracts or whatnot. So again, you know, had I gone to a studio, I probably only would have seen one piece of that mm. and gotten really good at that one piece, mm. but I never would have really understood the business as a whole. Mm. Yeah. You, so, you know, when you're making that shift and, you know, I think one of the things big companies do afford you is a certain level of security. I mean, and, you know, you picking a big four was also that it offered a great career path and security. I mean, were you, did you have, were you afraid to leave that type of um, environment, I guess? No, no. And, and I do think that, you know, the reason why I had picked the big four was also because of prestige, mm-hmm. you know, you who have this name, you have this company now, like a tech that kind of establishes and it's, it, it's a great thing to have on a resume versus this really small production company mm-hmm. where it's, what do they do? What, mm-hmm. what do they make? Um, yeah, it definitely was a big jump in terms of environment, uh, prestige, uh, security, as you mentioned. Um, but it was a privately funded company and, you know, self-funded company. They had been around for, I think like 30 years at that point. So Mm -hmm. I I felt like in terms of the company crumbling, I felt safe. Mm -hmm. Um, what about prestige? Prestige, I think, I, I eventually just, at that point, it just didn't matter. I already had the prestige on my resume, you know, Mm. I already had this, you know, big four name and, and uh, I think I was just excited to learn about the film industry. Mm. So, um, so now you're going, you went down this all, it's all by like happenstance. It sounds like that you Mm -hmm. fell into finance and now you have this whole career in finance. Um, You know, you obviously, I mean, people don't know this, but, um, you know, you, you spend a lot of time teaching people financial, like personal finance basics, you know, building a foundation, um, before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of, you know, those, uh, maybe like those learning points, I guess, um, um, where did this, where did it, like, why did just, why did you decide to kind of, I guess, jump into that? You mean jump into teaching? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it it actually was a result of having been on the finance committee at my church. Mm-hmm. And I've been a longtime churchgoer and serving is has always been a part of my life. Mm-hmm. And doing children's ministry, teaching toddlers, teaching whatnot. And um yeah, at my church, they sent out an announcement that they were recruiting for the finance committee. And I thought, well, that would make sense for me to use my knowledge and experience towards this mm-hmm. particular committee. And the committee was, so I ended up being accepted into the committee. And at the time, that ex- the executive director at the time had... Um, he was the one who was running the meetings and you're really kind of designing what the committee, what the committee's purpose and whatnot 
you know, what we were going to be doing. So the group was split into different subcommittees. And one of the subcommittees was financial um, accountability, financial counseling, something, something to that. Financial stewardship or something? I don't remember. It was just so long ago, but yes, it was really about, um, about affording or, you know, counseling the congregation towards financial stewardship. It wasn't about the church's finances that this particular subgroup that is Mm -hmm. we had a different group that you know was looking at the budget and looking Mm -hmm. at the finances and all that sort of stuff but the other side to that is also you know what can we do as a group to you know help individuals with their own personal financial journey so that particular group I wasn't a part of but I believe there were some books or reading that they were doing to try to you know um, look for ideas and things like that. So we had some along the way, you know, we had some changes to the group and uh, after maybe two or three different iterations of our committee, um, we had some, we did another round of recruiting people into the group and, you know, we'd always intended or kind of in the back of our mind, our minds, if and when we have the capacity, we'd like to actually start offering classes. And I think at one point the church had done or sponsored like a crown financial course or something. And then anyway, so one of the guys, one of the new guys who joined the group said that he had been at a church that had done this Dave Ramsey course, a financial peace university. So we looked into it and, and it was just really easy, straight out of the box. We just order these things and we just, you know, play video and go through the workbook. And so mm-hmm. we thought, okay, well, let's just, let's just try it. Mm-hmm. Let's just try it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I think you ended up being in the class because mm-hmm. um, the accountant at the church at the time thought, well, this is our, this is going to be a beta class. We're just going to, you know, it's an intro. Mm-hmm. We're going to be doing it at the church office. So if any of church staff wanted mm-hmm. to join class we would sponsor them you know if they want sponsorship we would sponsor them as in like pay for their materials and so we had a lot of church staff that attended the course and it was my first time going through the materials as well Um, because I know how to do my finances but I don't know how to explain that to somebody I don't have Mm -hmm. that that experience in teaching someone that you know I know how to teach someone work stuff is how you do a bank reconciliation right. or this how you, when it comes to teaching personal mm-hmm. I have no experience. In well, that. I think it's also known or maybe it's not as known, but I, uh, you know, people, because you work in finance doesn't mean you necessarily know how to manage your own finances. Did you find that True. your personal finance philosophy matched with what Dave Ramsey was teaching? Um. Yes and no. I think theoretically from an early age, I knew, you know, it was better to save, you know, you know about how interest works and interest compounds and the sooner you save, you know, the more you kind of gain in the future. So yes, like on that front, that is something you do learn Mm -hmm. in finance classes, but in terms of practically applying it on your day-to-day life, um, you know, applying these the concepts of budgets and actually living out and keeping within a budget, I, I wasn't doing that at all. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I, I, I don't remember if I was doing, if I started to do it before or after the FPU courses. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can't remember, but at some point, whether or not it was triggered by, you know, these, the, these courses or not, um, I actually did, you know, I, I downloaded Mint, I put everything into the categories mm-hmm. and I, you know, afraid of what I was going to see. Cause I was just like, you know, money in, money out. I wasn't thinking about what I was spending. It was just, you know, um, just living the way that I thought I wanted to live and not really worrying about the future. Yeah. So, um, that was definitely an eye opening experience for me. Cause then I saw how much I was spending on certain things. And, um, it, it was at that point where I'm, where I realized, okay, I could start curbing some of the spending, um, and just being more aware of where I was putting my money. Gotcha. Yeah. But I never ended up doing, you know, the whole, um, the baby steps. Of- the baby steps, right. the envelope method, you know, all of that. But I do think that what I took out of it is, you know, and things that I do try to keep up with are like the emergency fund mm-hmm. is the three to six months of your operating expenses, you know, mm-hmm. make sure you have that on hand or mm-hmm. I think um, those are just, you know, basic concepts that I think, I think I would have known that, but to mm-hmm. actually have that said to me, something that I can hold on to, um, keep to, I think is, was very helpful. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, the finance committee at our church or, you know, my old church, I guess, um, it's, I mean, the finance committee, I mean, it sounds like, Oh, church finance committee sounds like very, like not legit, but I mean, that finance committee was, really filled with some heavy hitters. I mean, I think you, you're, you were the chair. You're not the chair anymore. Are you just, you're on a sabbatical now? Yes. I'm on a sabbatical. You're on sabbatical as a finance chair and you know, you're a controller at, you know, this film production company, you work in finance. I mean, it's traditionally a very male heavy environment. Um, what has the experience been like for you to be in these like leadership type roles and to be in this industry that's very male dominated? I mean, what's your experience like? And this is also why I think for generally for women, um, personal finance is also very intimidating to them. Um, not all women, but I think generally it's not, it's kind of the thing that either their husband takes care of, or they're not as, you know, maybe interested in, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'd love to hear your experience, um, navigating that world. Yeah. I, you know, I was very fortunate in that my job, my, my job right out of big four was to work for a female controller. And then the job that I'm at now that I've been at for 13 years is working for a female CFO. So um, I've been very fortunate that I have had other women leaders to work Mm -hmm. with. And even I would say, uh, you know, I worked with quite a few female partners at the big four as well. Mm -hmm. So I think I was fortunate in that there were other trailblazers before me. And um, so I didn't really, yes, I did experience, I do experience a, a very male heavy, I guess, you know, industry, you know, and it does, it's definitely in the committee. At one point, I probably was the only female mm-hmm. in the group. And then, um, I mean, 
film is pretty male heavy as well. Film, the film industry. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to encounter that no matter what, especially if you're working at higher levels. Mm-hmm. Most women um, don't, I mean, yeah, you're not going to find as many women, I would say. Um, but I think that's changing. Mm-hmm. Right. I think before the the norm would be for, you know, women to be stay at home moms mm-hmm. or, you know, be a lady who lunches, <laughs> you know, that sort of stuff. Which is which lovely. Is really I, feel, I love to be a lady who lunches. <laughs> <laughs> really fine. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it's understandable because it, it's a little traditional. Mm-hmm. Not to say that that's wrong or, you know, outdated, but. So for some people that's going to work, but for some people who still want to have a career or whatnot, it, that it just starts to kind of, you know, mm-hmm. kind of drop off the higher up that you get. But yeah, anyway, to answer your question, um, I think I working with this particular committee that does have a lot of males or have a lot of men, um, because I knew them personally also, I never felt intimidated Mm. now I never felt like anyone was speaking over me or for me or talking down to me um I I believe I was always treated with respect and um however I will say that I think that there was another person who might have had a different experience I just I never had that experience in terms of, um, you know, feeling like, feeling like these negative things with respect to working with men. Cause at one point there was another female in the group. So, you know, I just, I had a different experience. So, mm-hmm. you know, only I'll only speak about myself, but yeah. So, um, I, I do think that there can be people who, um, for whatever reason can have a different experience, mm-hmm. um, for, but for me personally, I just haven't. Yeah. And I think if I were to ever feel an insecurity about something, which I have, you know, of course, like you're facing a room full of, you know, um, people who you think are more experienced than you or have higher titles than you. It's really not about for me, the male or female. It's just like, oh, wow. Like I'm speaking in front of people who are they going to like think I'm a fraud or, you know, it like I, there's a feeling of like imposter syndrome. Like, do I belong here? Sure. And it was, like being female or male is just more about like my personal experience, you know, am I qualified to be here was kind of, would be the source of an insecurity if I did feel it. Gotcha. So I think to combat that would just to, um, just to remember the, the people, like the individual person that I'm speaking to that they're on my side you know, they're my friends. They're not here to like criticize me mm-hmm. or turn me down. We're all here to be collaborators. Mm-hmm. So I always had to, you know, take myself not all, but in the event that I would feel that insecurity about myself. I always had to, you know, take a step back and just remember mm-hmm. that, especially in that particular group, you know, these were all my friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's jump into talking about, you know, personal finance and why it is important for any individual to really pay attention to it. 
Um, so here's like, here's where this is a common scenario I find myself encountering amongst people, which is I have, I don't know, I have $50,000 in student loan debt. It's low interest. I'm going to pay it off in like 20 years and whatever. Right. And YOLO, I'm going (laughs) to, I'm, I'm living my best life now. Um, in the, you know, Again, and everyone's financial situation is very, um, you know, specific and unique to that person. But I think there are general rules of thumb that we can um, offer people and how to kind of set yourself up well for, um, I guess, financial stability and security. So, you know, someone like that, you know, that that would also often be the argument like, well, I'll pay it off in like 20 years and it's like super low interest. I pay maybe like 100 bucks a month. It's no big deal. I mean, what what would you say to that person? Would you encourage them to pay it off as soon as possible? And if so, why? Or is it okay to keep it for 20 years if it is low interest bearing? Yeah. So I, you know, that's a very specific example, right? And my there would be follow-up questions like, are you feeling like you're living paycheck to paycheck? Are you feeling like you can't take your car breaking down? Or, you know. Like what it what are the things surrounding that decision to not pay off that loan? Right. So there could be other other factors that like, okay, I can't pay this off because I have other stressors or other things that I need to be paying for. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, in those situations, it's really about understanding what the whole picture is. Mm-hmm. Because I think whether or not you pay down the loan is less of a um it's less of a big deal. I think the bigger deal is, do you have an emergency fund? Like, do you have X, Y, Z in place mm-hmm. of some sense of security? You know, cause I do think that, yes, there could, for some people it would absolutely make sense to pay it off according to the schedule, which mm-hmm. is paid off in 20 years. Cause mm-hmm. maybe that interest rate is better than what you would be earning, investing, la, 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 la. You know, there's all these other things. We're but... deviating from the Dave Ramsey baby steps. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, the, the answer is paying off, paying off debt is building wealth. Sure. Mm-hmm. That's the bottom line, right? Which is, you know, that is one perspective. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. By paying down that debt, you have the ability to now, you know, that builds that builds your wealth in other ways. Mm. So yes, it'd be true. But I think for people who may be in a, in a different level of financial sophistication mm-hmm. is an okay thing to pay that off in 20 years. Mm. But yeah. I was not but, expecting that answer. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, you know, I think for, um, and some people is just, it may not feel like a crushing debt to you. If you feel like it's really something that is weighing you down, because for, 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 for some people it may be, then pay it off. Right. And, and we can have a conversation about how you can do that. Right. Gotcha. So, you know, you've taught so many people at this point. What's like a common thread you see among people who, who do sign up for this class? Um, the main thing is, um, having a fear of facing reality. Mm. It's like, I don't want to see how much I spent. I just like you, it's more kind of like 
I've been surviving this far and and fear of having that knowledge, which is going to catapult change. Mm. You know, I, there, that's the, that's the thing. It's like, I don't want to have to know that I have to give up something in my life. Mm. And that's a, that's, that's mean thing. It's like, I don't want to look at these statements. I don't want to look at how much I've spent on, on food or shopping or all the other things. Um, I, that really is, it's psychological, really, you know, mm-hmm. and what, what that might mean for you. You know, you're just not willing to give up what you think is the life that you, you currently have that you want to have. Mm. Man, that was also an unexpected answer. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's yeah. So I think like, um, cause it is hard if you're, if you're, if you feel like you're in debt and you can't change the situation without changing your lifestyle, Mm. then it's kind of almost better to not even look at it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it does involve wanting that change or wanting help because in order to pay down a debt, you do have to, it's got to come from somewhere. Right. Now. So that may mean you need to start like, learning how to cook for yourself (laughs) or, (laughs) uh, or getting another job. Mm -hmm. And that may mean less leisure time or less fun time, Mm -hmm. less out with friends, but you know, and some people don't want to face that. Mm. Um, Okay. So for someone who's, who's like, you know what, I think I'm ready. I want, this is an area of my life I've been putting off, but I want to now start you know, I want to tackle this and I want to get better at this. What's kind of like the first step you recommend anyone to, to take? Uh, first step is to look at your spending. Mm. So download all of your expenses, download mint or download the mint is what I use. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are programs out there, or, you know, free apps or whatnot. Um, and take a look at your spending and categorize them. Because I think that's when you really start to get a good picture of where your money is going. Mm -hmm. And you're looking at, you know, as a single person, I'm spending $1,500 a month on food, whether it's grocery shopping or going out to eat. Mm -hmm. And that may, that, that could be the shock to, to make you realize you have to make a change, but you won't know. You're only spending 300. You're like, oh, I'm doing pretty good, but you Mm -hmm. won't know that actually download the data and look mm-hmm. at it, categorize it, see how much you're spending. Mm-hmm. It really is from that bird's eye perspective. It's like, okay, well, this is my finite amount of income. This is what I'm earning. Where, like, where do I want that money to go as mm-hmm. opposed to not thinking about it and just spending it on a day-to-day basis, thinking that that's where you want it to go in that moment. But if you want to think about it holistically, okay, not in this moment, but in this year, how much do I actually want this income? How much of this do I want to go to food? Do I want to go to, Mm. do I want to go to, you know, Mm -hmm. my car? And some things may not, you can't change. You're not going to be able to change your rent. You're not, uh, well, maybe not in the next year, who knows, but Mm -hmm. maybe you realize, well, maybe I can't afford to live in this place anymore. Mm -hmm. It'll, it will, conjure up the questions that you need to be asking yourself. But yeah, so the first step would be 
understand where is you are currently spending your money Mm -hmm. and ask yourself the questions of, well, do I have a goal of where I want this money to go? Mm. Um, and I, and I will say that like, um, if you have a partner or, you know, if you are a believer, you know, you want to have either your partner, you want to have your partner or a trusted person to have these conversations with, to kind of, you know, muddle through, well, what do you do? What do you think is okay? But then also I think as a believer, it's really important to make sure that like God is part of those conversations as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Conversations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what's kind of like, um, is there a metric of financial health for, for a person? Like, um, yeah. Is there a metric you would, you would use? Yeah. Well, I mean, the very basic one would be is like, don't spend what you don't have, Mm. (laughs) you know? And, um, I think when it comes to what makes your financials healthy or unhealthy, I think will be, you know, matter of opinion, you know, matter of setting goals for yourself. If you want to be able to be financially independent and not rely on parents or loans or whatever, um, or if you want to buy a new car or be able to buy a place or be able to save a certain amount, you know, those are all, I think, personal goals that a person could work towards, mm-hmm. um, that could be quote unquote healthy or successful, but that's going to be a different definition for different people. Um, Or it could be saving money for your child to be able to go to college or to be able to afford your kid to go to private school. You know what I mean? Like um, I think you could determine your level of success by saying I was able to meet these goals. Mm -hmm. At what point does someone need to bring in a financial planner? Oh, I think when it comes to investing, I think once you're in a position of actually having wealth to manage. Mm. I mean, okay. So even if it's like, okay, I, I paid off all my debt. I have my three to six months saved up. Now I want to start, you know, putting my money in, in stocks or index funds and mutual, like even at that point where like, I have maybe $5,000 to put towards that. That's when you should bring in a financial planner. I think you could start looking into that, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I, I would probably start asking around. I, I like, I personally haven't done it just cause I'm, but I have my money in like a robo and I have my money's in betterment. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is some level. I mean, that's a robo manager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I just, I don't have the capacity to be reading up on stocks or, you know, keeping up with the market. And some people do. I think if you have the capacity and the interest to do that, then that's great. But I think most people don't. So it's good to have someone or something that's managing it for you. Gotcha. So when you're looking for a financial planner to invest, it's really because um, they have the knowledge or um, the background knowledge to know this, to invest in this fund or maybe this mutual fund or whatever the case might be. It's not, it's not wise to just like throw it in there. I mean, this is also a question for me because today I was like, Ooh, Vanguard uh, index funds. Let me just see where (laughs) I can throw it in. (laughs) Yeah. But I think, you know, people who are certified financial planners or um, advisors, they have 
all the tools at their disposal. Like that's their job is to mm. get information and to get it to their clients, gotcha. you know, or at their disposal. Mm-hmm. Whereas we're just kind of, that's not, you know, I subscribe to some of that stuff, but mm-hmm. I just, for me, it's not, it's not an area where I feel like I want to spend a lot of time reading on or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. yeah, it's worth it. I think to pay the fee to have someone do that, you know, uh, my time is money too. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Um, okay. So in terms of, you know, okay. Cause you've taught this class so many times at this point now, and you know, one of the biggest steps of the process, and I think is actually even the hardest step of the process is paying off your debt or cutting down on your debt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how, how do you usually advise your students to, to do that? Like, where are some of the areas that you found, um, or yeah, just how do you advise people to, to do that? Yeah. Well, you know, that's where, you know, looking at their expenses, mm-hmm. reviewing what they would think their budget could potentially look like, you know, their, their stab at a budget. Mm-hmm. And really talking through that, you know, I've seen some people who really go extreme and say, okay, I'm only going to spend 200 on food for a month. And then I'll look at it and say, is that really feasible? You know, um, I think some people are really hyper-focused and just want to get rid of, you know, once they kind of get the bug, they're hyper-focused, want to get rid of it and are willing to just like live a pauper lifestyle, you know, for, you know, six months a year or however long it takes because, you know, they just want to get rid of it. And that's totally fine. Um, But at the same time, you know, you don't want a person to feel like they're setting themselves up for failure because Mm. that could also be a really, you know, debilitating feeling that you can't do it. And it's, it's a hard path. It's not like it comes easy for anyone. So it's really about, you know, setting realistic goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think just encouraging people when it, you don't meet your budget, it's okay. You still have time to keep trying and to not give up mm-hmm. um, to be some, you know, fits and starts along the way. You think you can spend this amount on this or that, but you can't. So to just, you know, keep fiddling around with your budget. Um, Sometimes you'll go over in certain areas. Sometimes you'll go under in certain areas. Um, But it is, it it is a lifestyle change because now you're looking at something maybe daily Mm. that you weren't looking at before. Right. So, you know, it does take some diligence. Um, Yeah. So, you know, my advice overall would be, you know, to do your best and, um, and to not get discouraged because it is, it it is actually a really long journey. It's not something that happens overnight. Mm. It people, but it may not for others. And um, just like any, you know, change that you're making, you know, you really have to give it time. So um, you're so nice. (laughs) You're, you know, I actually really appreciate your, your approach to this. I think it is very thoughtful and, um, you know, you're giving space for people and their, what they can handle and what works for them. 
Because for me, once I got the bug, I was so militaristic about it to people. I was like, no, you have to be in rice and beans, beans and rice, and like, don't do anything and suffer for like a year to two years, you know, but I I think you're right. I mean, I think at that point you have to, you have to do in a way that works for you because I think it, it, it's hard to make that type of change, let, let alone make change and then to sustain it. And if it's just like unbearable, you're just like, oh, screw this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, so emergency fund, you brought that up a few times. Why is the emergency fund so important to have? It is important to have because I think just mentally it makes you feel like you have your own safety net. Mm-hmm. So in the event that, and, and this kind of ties into some of his other topics such as insurance, um, you know, other things that you may have put in place. So you can increase, for example, and this is just a small, small example, but, you know, as you're shopping for your insurance plans, your auto insurance, you can, you know, opt to have a higher deductible because then if you have an emergency fund, you could just pay for some of that stuff on your own, as opposed to putting it through insurance. Mm. Yeah. So again, it, that's a very basic, basic example. I don't recommend that for, you know, all persons. It depends on your own situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and it, putting aside at the very onset, $1,000 as an emergency fund. So, you know, whether it's a car situation or um, you got hit with a bill that you weren't expecting, mm-hmm. then you're, you don't have to put something on your credit card or go into further debt, mm-hmm. which so you know your tire blew out you have to get another tire now all you have to replace all four tires that's i don't know i'm just gonna throw out a number i have no idea one thousand dollars you know that's like well what are you gonna do you're gonna put that on your credit card and just like have to pay that out over however many months Mm -hmm. but if you had an emergency fund then you could tackle that Mm -hmm. pay for it not have that hanging over your head and Mm -hmm. and go back to rebuilding your emergency fund back up to a thousand dollars. So there is something, I think both, it is like an emergency kind of safety net for yourself to prevent yourself from incurring more debt. And then on the other hand, it is, you know, I think mentally it does make you feel like you can handle an emergency. Mm. Um, The first, first emergency fund is just putting away. If you can, a thousand dollars so you work towards building up that thousand dollar safety net once you get the next step would be to pay down your debt and then once you get to a place of being debt free then you actually want to build your emergency fund to three to six months of your operational expenses Mm -hmm. your rent your car your auto insurance or you know all the things that are must pays Mm -hmm. you want to three to six months of that in a savings account. Right. Um, you know, for all the students that you've worked with through this program, I'm sure there's a lot of kind of before and after stories kind of, mm-hmm. what are some of the changes you've seen in people before going, like before the program and then the person they are after, um, you know, going to the program? Yeah. Um, well, you're a great example of that. Um, oftentimes, we'll just hear people who want to give and they're just excited. They're excited to share what they've accomplished. Okay. You know, but can I, can, can I make a confession though? Yeah. <laughs> because when I went through the class with you, one in one ear and out the other. <laughs> right. so it, it takes time. Right? Yeah. Well, 
time. It takes like you have to want it. You know, I was I was listening to it and it all made sense. Oh, this is great. This makes sense. But like it just wasn't. You weren't there. You weren't there. You were not there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, we do get quite a few um, individuals who are in severe debt. Mm. And so um, even in the court, we'll, we'll do a survey. I don't know if you recall, but we, we do a survey at the beginning of the course and then we do a survey at the end of the course to, to show um, just like mm-hmm. basic financial stats, you right. know, what are your assets? How much debt do you have? Um, and then quite a few people get, get their, get a significant amount of their debt paid off during the, during the nine week course. So that's like a huge encouragement. Yeah, I remember that. It was like oh, it was like six figures of some, yeah, yeah, six, yeah. And it was just really, I think, yeah. So for people who have gone to the course or have actually made like in your situation, maybe years down the line, actually put some of the things into practice. Once you get through and start to build the momentum, there is an excitement, and we will get emails from people. You know, some of the phrases there are catchphrases in these videos um he's from south so he has a very like colorful way of speaking (laughs) um he's very enthusiastic Mm -hmm. and it can come off as very cheesy Mm -hmm. but in it you will feel his you will you'll get why he gets so excited and there's which i'll never forget he's and the person was like i feel like a gazelle because that was because it's like you know like have the intensity of a gazelle Mm -hmm. and you know it's just so funny to get that email because we don't necessarily experience it as instructors but we get excited we get that feedback of Mm -hmm. something is clicking for that person Mm -hmm. I felt that excitement from you when we were talking a month ago of like you were so proud, like, which is great. It is a huge accomplishment. And I was proud for you. Mm. Proud, and I am proud of you that, you know, you accomplished this thing that you didn't even think you wanted to accomplish. And it mm-hmm. just was like, it wasn't in your, in your realm of, you know, something that you were thinking to do. But once you set your mind to it, you have the tools to do it. Mm-hmm. And now you're in a completely different like headspace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. It is. It is very empowering. I mean, just the fact to accomplish that, but it 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 really is opening your eyes to a whole new world of possibilities. Because when you mm-hmm. are in debt, you are limited to the things you can do because you're just so focused on paying off the debts that you owe, opposed to now I'm thinking like, how can I grow my money? Which is so much more fun than now I got to pay this (laughs) bill and that bill and, you know. Right. Um, So, yeah. So thank you to you, um, you know, for sure, for, you know, walking me through that class. I mean, it was a, it was a great class, but again, it just wasn't like, I realized too, for a lot of things and like going, having like organ, like organizing people's homes too, like, I just realized you just can't force these things onto people, even though it's good for them or whatever the Mm -hmm. case, like it's just anything with people in life, they're going to just have to want it for themselves. You just cannot do it for them. Absolutely. I mean, it it is like even dieting or getting into shape, a person really has to want that for, I I know I have to want that for myself. And I know it because when I'm 
when I do want it for myself, I'm on it, mm-hmm. you know, everything I'm, you know, going to, you know, work out regularly, regularly and all of that. But when I don't want it, it's just, it's, it's not a part of my life. Right. Yeah. Okay. You just, you know, it's, you just, that's just where you are. Mm-hmm. Really like force you to do something for yourself. You have to want it for yourself. Um, but I think, I mean, but that doesn't mean you can't inspire someone that you can't help someone along the way or mm-hmm. encourage them, you know, especially if like the person can't see that this debt or whatever it is, is hanging over them. Mm-hmm. It's like, Hey, this could really help you. Yeah. You don't know what it feels like yet, but you could really have a sense of freedom with respect to your money, you know, and like the money controlling you, you can be in a situation where you're now controlling where that money goes. Like, you know, where, and, um, as you've said before, you know, having your money work for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, hard Hard to explain that feeling. Yeah, it is hard to explain. You just, I try to explain to people, but again, that enlightenment will have to come from themselves. So, um, so just to wrap things up, what would you tell your younger self? Yeah. So I thought about this question. Um, and I think my conclusion is, I don't think I would tell anything to my younger self because I do that. Yeah. I could have said, save more, buy home earlier. Those are all, but those are all things that I knew, Mm. you know, I knew that, but I just wasn't in the space for it. And while I will say, yeah, I could have, I, I could be in a completely, you know, in a different financial situation now, but I, I do believe, and this is, you know, I think this is also because I'm a believer is, you know, the path that I've lived is exactly the path that God intended for me. Mm. And that includes finances, you know, that includes like where I spent my money because the money went to experiences as well, or to other things, and maybe to some things that, you know, were not good for me, or I overspent here or whatnot. But that's all part of, you know, my personal journey, my own journey that, um, that I believe God had it has and continues to intend for me. So, um, you know, we all know what it is we're supposed to be doing. Mm. Um, and I hope that people have people around them that they can learn from or ask questions about and, you know, get the help that they need and, um, and eventually get to the place that they need to be in terms of like financial health mm. or you wanted to find that. Um, yeah. So I think, again, because I was, you know, I did have an accounting background. These are all things that I knew from, from pretty early on of saving your money and, you know, learning how interest compounds and, you know, I could have had a much larger savings account. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I did at a particular age, but, you know, that's just, that's how it ended up. And, and those are all good things to know for yourself as a young person. Mm. Um, but I don't think it would have served me to like be forced into that. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that is where we'll end. Thank you for listening to support us. Please subscribe, rate and review us wherever you enjoy your podcast and share it with a friend. Special thanks to Chris Weldon for the original music and Sojin Oh for her creative designs. Thank you for joining us on Nunk 
podcast.